glad that they came today. Amen. It's such an honor to see all of you here. Blake, if you'll give me just a tad more here, we'll be good to go. It is wonderful to see you. <clears throat> As we get started, I want to mention something that I haven't mentioned. Um, and I'm, I, we have... As a group, as uh, the, the leaders, the deacons, and the leadership of the church have decided a couple of things that we're trying to do. One of them is that we don't spring stuff on you, which means that we don't just come in and spring an offering on you or anything like that. That we try to give you a time to assess that and to have time to process it and, and, and to do what God's called you to do. So we have eight weeks between now and Christmas. Did you know that? How many is finished with their Christmas shopping? I take that as a probably not many. We have eight weeks between now and Christmas. And one of the things that the Lord has put on my heart in this church, we are not by any stretch considered a large church when it comes to the size-wise. But we are a family church and we love people and we reach out to others. I will share this with you. I wasn't going to state that. But let me, just, uh, let me get to the point of what I'm, I'm getting at. I want to do something. One of the things that I have found in church is usually the people who have the least give the most. I'm going to say it again. Those that have the least give the most. It has been my observation through the years that I know people who some of them work and, and really receive small incomes give the most when it comes down to giving. It's true. I've watched it too many years time and time again. Some of the times when pastor's appreciation would come around and, and people would give to us and the, the, some of the greatest givers that, that have ever sown into our ministry has been those who had very little but believed in us very much. And I believe today they have been some of the most blessed people in all the world. Amen. Not because of us, but because they did something out of obedience. So in eight weeks, we've got Christmas here coming and on the 23rd, we've got a special Sunday lined up There'll be special music. Um, Elisha St. James, his wife Maria, will be back with us. They're supposed to be back with us, as a matter of fact, I believe starting next week. If you were here when Elisha sang a little bit, he's going to be bringing his keyboard back and going to be blessed. Us. I know y'all don't want all of that. You don't want it, all of the live music, but we're going to be having a good time. A special service that morning. But we're going to receive a Christmas legacy offering. Eight weeks, you've got eight weeks, a Christmas legacy offering. You can give in to this offering from now to Christmas. All you have to do is take one of those envelopes in the back pocket of the chair and write on that Christmas or legacy gift. And you say, what are we going to do with this gift? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it. I really believe the Lord's laid it on my heart to give everything we get away. Pastor Ted, there's too many people that are focused all on themselves, what they want and what they can get. And the Bible teaches us very plainly that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now I'm going to share something with you. I want everybody looking at me, paying attention. Brother Jerry can clarify what I'm about to say. There's a monthly thing that comes out with our church uh, records and denomination in it. Uh, you can go, if you look up Mississippi Church of God, you can find online. They used to put them out in a mailer. We used to get them in booklets, and they quit doing that because it got so expensive. But it's called a messenger. 
And in that Mississippi Messenger, it states all the, the churches. There are about 165 to 170 churches of God in the state of Mississippi. And you are in the top 20 when it comes to tithing and giving. I said you are in the top 20 when it comes to tithing and giving. Not the largest, not the most, but you are the top, in the top 20 and you know what? You do that. Do you know why? Because I find that a lot of times those that have the least give the most. And so what we're going to do is we're going to receive this legacy offering. Whatever you give, uh, Brother Jerry will give you a thing at the end of the year that you always get with uh, your tax information, all that stuff on it. This is not your tithe. It's not your regular offering. It's not what you've already designated. This is setting aside something else and saying, you know what, instead of me getting something this year for Christmas that I might would like, I'm going to give it this legacy offering because somebody on the mission field needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody in our local missions that we give, that's what we're going to do. We now have a missions pots, basically what it is. And we're pulling in those, tie, those funds for missions and then we're starting to divide them up. And next year, that's the way that it will be. We're going to be setting that as an example. In other words, we're going to take out those that we normally give to and we'll be dividing them out to each one of those missions groups. We have local missions that we give to. We still give to Beautiful Deliverance. We still bless them. Even they're part of our local mission here. We still do Honduras, South American Call. There are several others. So just we, what we want you to do is if you give in this legacy offering, we're going to divide that up and we're going to give those out to those missions and bless them for Christmas. Is that all right? Is that all right? Come on, is that all right? Amen. You are blessed because you know how to give. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. Looking forward to having that. I want you to do something with me. I want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And I want to ask you to stand one more time. I know that you're getting your exercise. And I want to say thank you to all of our youth and our young people and our leaders that came and they gave food away yesterday, standing on the street corner. Thank you for doing what you've done. Thank you for being a blessing. My heart swells with pride. You, you guys really have blessed me, and, and I'm a, it's an honor to be uh, your pastor and to love you and you to love me back. Thank you so much. All of you, wherever you are, all of the leaders, Robbie and Joy, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tegan and Cindy. Thank you, Mandy and Ed. I know you guys were here. There were others that were here. If you're not bringing your kids, you need to be bringing your kids. I'm telling you, they're being blessed on Wednesday nights and they keep showing up and they keep coming and you know what? We're going to make a difference and we're going to make a change. Whatever it takes, we're going to do it. Amen. Amen. Matthew 12, verse 25 through 30. Listen to this. Jesus knew their thoughts. He's talking about the Pharisees. He replied, any kingdom that's divided by civil war is doomed. In other words, they cannot get along. A town, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You know what? The Bible says only a fool will cause trouble in his own home. And if Satan is cast out, Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. Somebody say there has to be a unity. And if I am empowered by Satan because they are accusing Jesus of casting out devils, but they're also accusing Jesus of being Beelzebub or being equal to Satan. He said, if I'm doing that, <clears throat> his kingdom won't survive. But listen to this. He said, where are your own exorcists? 
they cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have just said. Why did he say that? Because he knew, they knew, he wasn't of Beelzebub. He said, but I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. If I'm doing that, then really what I'm saying to you is truth. The kingdom has come, is coming among you. Verse 29. For who is powerful enough to enter into the house of a strong man? Somebody say strong man. And plunder his goods. Men, who can come into your house and take what you have? I don't know about you, but I, I just... I, I, I just Feel for the guy that comes through my door at nighttime to plunder my house. Some of y'all feel the same way. You do whatever it is. You got a baseball bat behind the door, a nine tucked away in the closet, a forty-five under the pillow, a thirty-eight stuck in the sheets. I don't know, but pity the man that tries to plunder your house, right? Why? You're the strong man of your house. Hang with me. Hang with me. We're going to go somewhere. He said the strong man that, who would plunder his goods, only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me, Jesus said, opposes me, and anyone who's not working with me is actually working against me. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that you would take the truth of your word. Lord, as we divide, the, as we bring the word, and Lord, as we understand it, we take these scriptures and take a few moments today to, Lord, to share the truth, Lord, about a lot of the tricks that the enemy tries to use against our home and against our family. That we might be, Lord, in unity together. That we might come, Lord, not as just individuals, but God as a unified body of Christ. That we work together, Lord, to see the gospel message of Jesus Christ go forth in a mighty way. And that our homes and our families would be united. That our children would serve the Lord and our families would love you. And we ask it and we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, now would you give him one more big praise offering before you're seated? Come on, one more time. Amen. You may be seated. I ask you to pray for me as it's obvious my um, nasal passages are, are having a heyday. But I'm going to make it today, and I, I appreciate your prayers. I want to share with you one of the personal things that I have, and that's my own story. My, my dad did not give his heart to Christ until he was 32. He died at the age of 68. I was nine years old in the February that he gave his heart to Christ, would have turned ten that June. Now my story is one of these that my parents always told me when we were little, don't ever take candy from... Y'all had the same parents, huh? Same family. But this is the week, however, that kids and adults alike well, a lot of them dress up in their favorite characters and they will go to complete strangers' houses with one mantra. Give me candy. Get candy. Are y'all with me? Now, I want to tell you, before you put on your face and you guys say, well, if I knew he was going to preach about Halloween and bashing about costumes and all of that, I probably would not have come to church. Well, I've got good news for you. I didn't come here to spoil your party or rain on your parade, but I, what I do, do want to do is I want to share with you because as a church, we have done our very best 
to figure out how to find a balance and a good plan to reach out with alternatives to reach the community and yet not celebrate a dark day that a lot of people call and consider Halloween. Now, I did some research, and years ago, I used to do some deep teaching and studying on Halloween, and it's been a lot of years. We, we were looking up something for somebody else here the other day about the actual roots of that. And I'm not going to take the time. You've got the Internet. You've got Google on your phone. You can go do it. But honestly and truthfully, Halloween did not start out to be the holiday that it is ended up into today. It was actually started uh, by way back, way, way back, by what they call Christian or the Catholic Church. And it was known as All Hallows' Eve and, and, and even that or all, uh, Saint, all Saints' Day, which was actually November 1st. And then they ended up celebrating a little bit early, like on October 31st through uh, November 2nd. And what they were doing, what it originated out to do, was to celebrate the dead that had gone to heaven before them. I'm giving you a little bit of a history. It's not in, the, it's not in here, but that's really what it started out to be. And then it was the Druids in the 1800s began to do a lot with it. It changed. They started carving out things like pumpkins to light their way. And, and they would go. And if they, they were poor people that legally could beg. And they would go and they would basically go to the door and they'd say trick or treat. And that's what they, what they were doing was begging for food. And if you didn't give them something, then you got tricked. Are you with me? Now, there's a lot more to this, and there's actually several things you can find in history, but again, you've got Google, you can go look at it, and you can, you can research all of that. When I was a kid, B.C., anybody know what B.C. is? Before Christ, before my parents gave their hearts to Jesus, Dad did a lot of things that he completely stopped after, we gave our, after he gave his heart to Christ. Before we got saved in 1979, my family had no church experience. The only church experience I had was riding the good Baptist bus to, to um, vacation Bible school and learning about how to make popsicle sticks into little boats and trees. And y'all know what I'm talking about. And you understood what Elmer's glue was everything. And they try to tell you about Jesus through a felt board. That's what I knew about that. Thank God for good Baptist churches. Don't, you, don't ever think that I don't believe that God gave us Thank God for good Methodist churches. Thank God. You say, well, I don't know that I care a whole lot about that. Listen to me, honey. If you want to dig deep and find out where the church of God roots are, <laughs> way back when it was too good, a good Baptist man and a good Methodist man that need, said they needed more and felt like God had more. And there's a lot that went on between then and now. I'm thankful for my heritage. What I pray is that we don't ever end up at a place that we lose our way and we don't lose the power of God in our churches and we don't cease to exist in believing that God can still heal. He can still set free. He can still fill you with a baptism in the Holy Ghost that His power is still real. Amen. Amen. So in that time, Daddy quit doing a lot of things. We quit trick-or-treating. We didn't go anymore. That's, that was it. We're not doing that anymore. I was just young. I didn't argue because you know how it is when you, with your parents. Daddy said no more dancing. My daddy could play a guitar like nobody's business. Awesome guitarist. He taught music. He was a great guitarist. Played in church. Played long before he got in church. Used to go to a, Greenville, a place in Mossine between Greenville and Bulls Gap called a dance barn. Anybody ever been to a dance barn? <laughs> yeah. Amen. Knee slapping, chicken, 
things going on. I mean, all kind of stuff happening. Boots, this was before boot scoot and boogie. But we went to all of those things and daddy said no more. Because when we got saved, daddy got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he found out that the only way that he felt like he ought to really be able to dance was in the Holy Ghost. Are y'all with me? You, you follow me. You may not understand that, but that, daddy just said, hey, we're not doing that anymore. And I'll tell you why. Daddy was not legalistic. Daddy realized that he had lived one life for so long that he did not want to go back that direction anymore. He had already lived that side of the fence. He had already done all of the things that he could have done. And he realized that he had met the real Jesus that turned his life inside out, upside down, and he didn't want to do anything that would cause him ever to go back. Now, for a lot of us, we'd say that's legalistic. We'd say that's just, uh, I, I don't know if, you know, I want to be that way. What happened to Daddy was a radical change that needs to take place in a lot of hearts of believers today. And that way we quit riding the fence and we quit stepping on the line trying to get somewhere where we're not supposed to be and we don't belong and we shouldn't be fooling with. We would know that. But what has happened is we've got gray areas in the church. We've got gray areas in the church, but I believe that church people, because of that, struggle with what is truth. What is the reality of truth? Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that you can't get to the Father any other way than through Christ. You can't get to the Father through a blood sacrifice of an animal. You can't get to the Father through a priest here on earth. Only way you can get to Jesus is through His blood and through the high priest who is Christ Himself. Amen. Amen. Now, the message here today is not about Halloween, but it's about trusting God's Word. About how the Word of God separates the truth what we really need to know and what is truth. You say, Pastor, if you just look to the Word of God, isn't that kind of a narrow-minded view of the way things are in life? Absolutely not. You know, if we just look to the Bible, isn't that a narrow-minded way if we don't look to science and we don't look to the stars and we don't look to all of these other things? Can I tell you the originator, the origin, uh, the origin of which it all came was from the Father God. If it wasn't for Him, there would be no science. And science always, listen to me, every time they try to look at it and twist it around and make it disprove the Bible, it always ends up proving the Bible. It only makes it more real. When they try to figure out why we're missing a day and they can say that they know that we are, that all they have to do is go to the Word of God and the truth of God's Word and the Word of God calculates it down to the very moments. Why? Because God can't lie and His Word is truth. Amen. Amen. So the Bible dispels the tricks and you've got to understand that the Bible is truth and because of that, my goal is to dispel the tricks and give you the truth. Is that okay? And I want you to understand first point, number one, God's power is evident in us when we dis, uh, when the, the darkness is dispelled by the truth. God's power is evident when we dispel the darkness with the truth. You can't hide if you got, if you got the light. A lot of people want to stay in the dark, but if you got the truth, the Bible says that you are responsible for Amen, what you know. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, to him, to that man, it's sin. 
When you know that you've got conviction in your heart about something you're not supposed to do. In other words, it isn't that the, that the pastor got up and said, don't overeat, and you overindulge yourself, and you just believe, well, the pastor put that on me. It's not about that. It's about what the Word of God has said, that your body is the temple, it is the tabernacle, that you should not destroy it or do anything that would harm it. That the Word of God brings conviction. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the convicting one. I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just the mailman. Please don't shoot at the mailman. Don't let the dog out to bite the mailman. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? I'm just delivering what I feel like God's Word is saying in the way that I believe, not according to my uh, to my just my understanding, but according to what I've studied and believe is absolute truth. I believe that God's Word is absolute truth. Look at this, 1 John chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. This is the message that we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. Somebody say, He's light. And there is no darkness in Him at all. At all, none. And there are certain things that we, if we're not careful, will allow into our lives that is dark. And when any time you open up doors of darkness into your life, you're opening up the window, the gate of something spiritual into your life. And there's certain things that you don't need in your life. There's certain movies you don't need in your heart and in your spirit. I'm going to be honest with you. If a movie starts out and I don't know what it's about and we start watching it and in the first little while we've got God's name is damn in the end of it and they're using all other kinds of profanities and, and she's sleeping with him. We just turn the TV or flip the channel. That's why God gave me the remote. I don't need 500 channels in my house. Come on somebody. I, I'm going to preach whether you help me or not. I, there's a lot of it I just don't need in my spirit, so I just refuse to open the door to it and let it in. There's too many other good things I'd rather do. My wife gets frustrated with me now. Tennessee's playing football yesterday. Looks like we're going to beat the, the, the South Carolina by all straight should have. About second half of the second half of the football game, I get up. We're still ahead. Go upstairs, put on some praise worship, pick up a guitar. I'm playing my guitar. I stay up there, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. I come back down, lo and behold, only to find out that we're, uh, we're straight up, even up. All that does is want me to go right back upstairs and play the guitar and, and, and just worship some more because I see where this is going and it's not going to be good. Are y'all with me? And I'm telling you all of that to say this. There's just some things in my life today that have changed from what they used to be. And because Jesus is now the center of my heart and the center of my life, and I want to please Him beyond anything else I do. There's nothing wrong with watching football. There's nothing wrong with entertaining ourselves. But there's a time that comes in our life that we just want more of Him. We just need more of God. We just want more of what God wants to do in our life. And we're not satisfied with the world. And we're not satisfied with the things of the world. And the truth of it is, our kids will watch us play watching football. But do they ever? ever catch us in prayer? Do they ever catch us reading our word? Do they ever say, I remember when daddy prayed? Me and my wife were uh, getting ready for bed the other night and we were talking about grandparents. And She was raised in a good home and had good grandparents. And we were talking about what we remembered and I just asked her the question, I said, baby, what did you remember about your grandmother or your, or your grandfather? 
What, what sticks out to you? She didn't say, I, I remember uh, them making eggs and biscuits and gravy. Pastor Ted, she didn't say, I remember what they gave me for Christmas. She didn't say any of those things. The words out of her mouth were these. I remember hearing Papa in his room, talking about at their house, praying on his knees. I could hear him praying out to God. You know why? Papa didn't just talk about Jesus. He lived Jesus. He got up in the morning breathing Jesus and went to bed at nighttime breathing Jesus. There was a lot of things that Papa did that we would have probably thought... We're a little bit legalistic, but my God, what more legacy could a man leave than his grandchildren and his children hearing him pray and hearing him reach out to God? I'm going to tell you that's the legacy I want to leave. Truth that dispels the tricks the enemy wants to use. We've got a lot of preachers that are telling, and I'm not pointing my fingers at one or the other. I just hear them telling things that I understand are not really complete truths. And when you withhold the truth, uh, you're, you're deceiving people. And there will be men who will stand before God who have withheld the truth. And the one thing that I never want to stand accountable before God over is not teaching and telling you the truth. I may not be the most popular and I may not be on TBN or or whatever channels that there are out there but the one thing if I stand before God I want God to look at me and say my son you told him the truth well done enter in into the kingdom of God that I prepare that's what I want to hear I don't need to hear somebody pat me on the back and say that was so deep, that was so great, that was so wonderful. The only thing I need to hear when this life is over is well done. You dispelled the darkness with the truth of my word. You told them. You don't stand accountable for them. You stand for yourself. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. I like this verse. It's one of them I have written. as one of my favorites in here in my Bible. He says, so fear the Lord, serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors. I'm going somewhere with that. When they worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, when they were in Egypt, they were, they were children of Israel, but they were worshiping all kinds of stuff. Look at what it says. Serve the Lord alone. Too many people trying to put God in a basket with something else. It doesn't work. Look at this. He said, but if you refuse the Lord, then choose today who will you serve. In other words, you can't serve God and someone else. You can't serve God and something else. God plus any other God is idolatry. Anything else that you lift up in your life ahead of God becomes idolatry in your life. And hear me, parents, when you do that, you set your children up for failure. Because your children become confused about what is right. When they don't understand, you don't have a clear conscience, you don't have a clear view, a clear understanding of where your family's going. You're confused. And so priorities in life come and we take those paths and, 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 and here's what happens. Here, here's the thing that happens. He said, look at this. He said, choose who you would serve because if you would prefer to serve the gods of your ancestors, serve beyond the Euphrates. In other words, if you want to do that or the gods of the Amorites in the lands who you now live. But as for me and my house, this was Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. I grew up in a good home. 
I grew up in a home that was had a great family life. I, I didn't, my parents, I don't think uh, drugs was an issue in my family. I don't remember being beaten by my parents. I don't remember being starved. I can remember not having everything I always wanted, but not realizing that I was rich in my own way. Not knowing that potato soup, was, that was all that was in the house, wasn't going to kill me, that I'd live and grow up to be a healthy young man. I remember my mom saying to my dad, Hey, Dad, the only thing I have in the house is potatoes, and I'm going to make potato soup so everybody's got something to eat because you know spaghetti and soup will go a long way if you know how to stretch it. And Mama knew how. But you know what? It didn't hurt me. Daddy didn't say we're going to run to McDonald's and buy something. Daddy didn't say any of those things. Daddy believed and my family knew I grew up in a good home. When we said we've got plenty to eat, you know what they meant? They meant we've got plenty of green beans that have been put up. we got plenty of tomatoes that have been put up. we got plenty of stuff that we put up over the winter and we'll share it with the neighbors down the road that don't have enough. That's what they meant by that. So I grew up in a good family. I had a good family raising and, 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 and the thing of it is, there are others that are here today, maybe that isn't your story. Maybe it isn't the food. Maybe you grew up and your parents did serve other gods and you never knew the real Jesus until you got older. And those other gods can be things like anger. Those other gods can be things like addictions. Those other gods can be things like hate and prejudice. And you don't even realize that you brought them into your home until it rises up within you. And you hear it come out of your mouth. And you hear it come out of your children's mouth. And then you realize that you actually pass that along to them. I want you to know something. The Word says, choose who you will serve. Come on, somebody. The enemy has tricked us into believing that we've got to be be bound to our family's past. Well, daddy was racial, so I'll have to be racial. Daddy was addicted, so I'll have to be addicted. Mama was mad all the time, so I've got to be mad. I have no choice. I have no right in this. Can I tell you something? You do not have to be bound to your family's past, no matter what it was. Well, they, my, nobody in my family could stay together. They've all been divorced and remarried. That is nothing more than a lie from the enemy. That is nothing more than a trick to say you have to divorce. I got good gospel news for you. God is for you. He is for your marriage and he does not want you to divorce. Let me preach on. My, 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 my whole family has this blood disease and I guess I'll die with that blood disease. That is a trick from the enemy and it's a lie from the enemy. You don't listen to what the enemy's telling you. You will live and not die. Stand on the promises of God's word. Job stood up and said, you know what? He said, I, I knew that uh, my redeemer lives and he said, I've lost everything but naked did I come into this world. Naked will I die but I still believe that my redeemer lives and you know what the Bible says? about Job in his last days that God gave him way more than he ever had in his former days and he also gave him a long life can I tell you something that's the God we're serving you got to stand on his promises if you're going to dispel the the tricks that the enemy would come against you at amen and the enemy's tricked so many into believing that you're so bound by that he'll tell you you don't have a choice because your family is dysfunctional and you will be too 
I'm going to tell you the truth is you have a choice. I said you've got a choice. You've got a choice and your marriage does not have to end in divorce. You, you've got a choice and you don't have to be sick with these diseases that have plagued your family's history you can break the lines of prejudice that has kept your family bound for years and all it takes is one person one daddy to stand up and say you know what I'm not having that in my heart and I don't want it in my kid's heart and I don't want it in my grandkid's heart God created me and he created all men equal come on somebody it don't matter black, white, purple, polka dotted if they've got a soul God created him he breathed life into him he's not looking at the outward appearance of man but he's looking on the inside of our hearts but we've allowed the body of Christ to come under these spiritual attacks because we've unleashed all of this stuff into the church we've opened the doors of darkness and listen when you open the doors of darkness it will invade your home it's like a plague If the church has the power of God within it, then we don't need to tolerate the demonic within the house. And it will only happen when we intercede to expel it from the house and from our city. I never will forget coming to the church for the first time and an older gentleman that was here at the time said, you know what, there's just this darkness that has held over this city. I've even had people, my own kids, say, Daddy, we're all gone. We're all moved away. We don't live there anymore. Why do you stay? I had my, one of my young, uh, youngest ask me that here not long ago. Not because he was trying to get me to go anywhere, but because he was simply going through this process and he's thinking in his mind, why, why did you stay? Why are you there? And I said, son, I knew that 18 years ago God called me to a city called Vicksburg. Had no idea, never been here, never drove up, never been through this town. But I knew God had brought me here. And 18 years ago when he spoke that into my heart, I I told them in the church, I believe God had put vision in my heart to see him raise up a church like he had never raised up in this city before that would break down lines of prejudice, that would break down lines and barriers of all kinds of sorts of things. I didn't come to build a mega church but I did come to build a church that believed the Bible and the word of God and preached the truth unwaveringly amen and that's what I would stand on and because of that I fell in love with the people of this city and I loved them so much that I decided that I'd stay and call it home come on somebody I've said often to the deacons, I've said it to them, look guys, if you think I'm too comfortable, if you think I'm, you know, I've been here too long, all you've got to do is speak up and say the word. I said something the other day to Pastor Ted, and Ted said, shook his head and said, no pastor, I do that because I want to keep myself in check. I don't want to just get on the chuck wagon and ride it to get a paycheck. I need to know that God has called me to the purpose and the plan of the ministry here and that we're going to move forward. We're going to see lives change. That your son and daughters will prophesy that they will come home that we will believe they will live free that your families live free too amen you cannot effectively dispel darkness without God's power you cannot and should not be a part of an organization or a church that does not believe in the manifestation of the power and the presence of God when I first moved here I had a woman that called me up and her mother attended church here, was from 
a, a local assembly in town and she asked me to go pray for her her daughter who had had cancer and if I called this lady's name some of you would know her because she was well known in the town for her business and her, her family was well known and, and I, I went up to pray for her and I knew she attended church elsewhere and she told me that and I said uh, something was said and she said I called you brother Tony because where I attend church they do not believe in divine healing they do not believe in the power of divine healing they believe that that left years ago with the prophets when the last apostle died it's over with I said I want to tell you something I believe in the divine healing power of the blood of Jesus Christ and it has not lost its power there's still wonder working power in the blood of Jesus don't try to dispel darkness if you don't have the power of God in your life secondly look at this Religious acts do not disturb spiritual darkness. Religious acts. People say, are you religious? No, I'm not religious. I got Jesus in my heart. Amen. Religion's what killed Jesus. Religion's what put Jesus on the cross. Religious people are the ones that crucified Him. It isn't religion that found me. It was Jesus that found me when I didn't even know where to look. Matthew 29 and 30 where we read from chapter 12. For who is powerful enough to enter into the house of the strong man and plunder his goods? He's asking that question. Jesus is here. I promise you guys if you'll hang with me just a few minutes we're going to be done with this. But I, I know I won't get everything in but I'm going to get as much as I can. He said, look at what he said. He said, only someone even stronger. Now, I've preached the message. Matter of fact, i got a message called Strong Man Down. And it's taken from uh, Luke's gospel, not Matthew's. And Luke's gospel talks about the strong man referring to Satan being the stronger of the two. But can I tell you, the strong man in Matthew's gospel, where he's talking about, gives the option of who the strong man is. It gives the option that it isn't just the, uh, uh, Satan that can plunder your house. It's the one who chooses to be the stronger. Well, Pastor, I just feel so weak and anemic. Why? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If Jesus overcame the world, you will overcome the world. Come on, somebody. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you are not the tail. You are the head. You were not meant to live under, but to live above and beyond. Come on, somebody. You're a child of the King. you got to realize and recognize who you are and quit just talking about faith and reading about faith and going to another seminar about faith and believing it and walking it out. I know what His Word says. If His Word is truth and He can't lie, then I am everything God's Word has said. Come on, somebody. So he says, the one that's stronger. Look at verse 30. Anyone who isn't with me, talk, Jesus saying this, opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Now verse 30, Jesus states, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. He's telling us that the life of, of the believer, you need to get this. This is worth the guy says jotting down, writing down. There is no neutral ground. When I grew up, I'm, I'm, I'm storyteller. I like to tell stories because I connect with stories. Is that all right? I used to wonder why Daddy wanted us to watch Hee Haw. <laughs> then I go back to YouTube finding myself watching that silliness. But there were stories there that I really liked. 
dad said, son, you can have a car. I was like, yes, Jesus, I get a car. I had a job. I had a job before I ever turned 16. <clears throat> Anybody ever remember Fuller Brush? I'm giving them a throw. Anybody remember Fuller Brush? The only way you could get it was door to door. I was one of the door to door. So daddy had a car I could use until something happened to it. <clears throat> Dad said, look, son, you're going to have to find your car. But now you're going to have to buy it. Okay. Let's give some good initiative. I had kids, you know, that new Z28 had come out somewhere in the 80s there. And I had a guy uh, that I worked with in the grocery store. His daddy allowed him to trade in a 74 Corvette with a 454 four-speed in the floor to get it. Dad said, there's a 76 Chevette. A buddy of I has it. Ain't, it's got a block in it, but there's no, the heads and all are laying up in the back of it. I got a $150 credit down at Jack's. That was the junkyard. You can go get the boyfriend's truck of my oldest sister at the time, or middle sister, and y'all pull that thing to the house. <laughs> y'all think I'm kidding with you, but I'm telling you the truth. And I'm not that old, but this is the way it happened. Orange. Burnt, like a burnt orange. It wasn't even a good Tennessee orange. It was a burnt orange. <clears throat> we pulled that thing to the house. I took that truck, went to Jack's. Jack gave me a motor on the credit that Dad had plus a little bit. Took it back home. Took a come along. Not, not, a, not a chain fall, but one of them Taiwan deals. That craziness. Hooked it to the rafters of the basement. Or the bat, you know, the beams that run across the basement. No way in the world. Should have never done that. Pull the old block out, put the new one in. I know this makes no sense to some of you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a stick shift. Daddy didn't believe you ought to be able to drive unless you knew how to drive a stick shift. Brother David, anybody can drive an 18 wheeler now. They just put it in drive and it goes. You ain't got to shift it. In Tennessee, when you stop, you're usually on a hill somewhere or going down. And so I learned, we got that thing in, lined the clutches up on that thing, or the clutch up on it, put it in. The guy helped me, got it, changed the oil, put the spark plugs in it, and Daddy took me out. The good news was he had had a 48 Chevrolet that I learned to drive or how to operate the clutch in the thing with a three-speed on, you know, three-speed three on the column, three and pray that it would go in and out of second gear into third and all that kind of stuff. And so I learned how to drive that thing, and here's one of the things that you had to watch out for. When you pushed the clutch in and you were on a hill, you needed to make sure you were in first gear to pull off because if you left it neutral and there was somebody behind you and you went to let off on the clutch, guess what? You're going to run into them. You know why? Because in a stick shift, neutral's not a good thing unless you're sitting dead still with the parking brake set or the foot on the brake. Are you with me? In God, there's no neutral positions. We think, well, if I don't serve God, I'm not serving the enemy. But the truth of it is, the devil owns the fence. You can't ride the fence. Are you with me? There's no neutral ground to stand on. Parents, it's time to make a decision. I'm going to be the strong man in my house. I'm not going to be the bound man because Satan will come. He will plunder if I'm in neutral. Come on, somebody. If you allow him, he will come in and he will take over. I'm not talking about your teenagers taking over. 
I'm talking about the strong man will come in. You, you need to stand and say, this is my house. This is where God has given me spiritual jurisdiction. I'm the strong man and nothing can come in unless I'm bound. Come on, somebody. I've got a few people with me on that, but it's true. If you choose to walk with Jesus and be the spiritual authority in your house... You walk in God's jurisdiction. You are God's priest of that home and you are stronger than any enemy trying to plunder your house. The problem that we have is that we, are, we have gotten to the place that if we're not careful, we're tricked by the lie of the enemy that says they will hate you if you make them go to church. They will tell you you're going to push me further away from God if you make me go. How do you know all of that, Pastor? Because I've been there. But the promises that I have stood on for years is that when they are young, you teach them and train them in the way of the Lord. And when they get older, they won't depart from it. They will come back to that truth. And you know what? I am a a testament that God has done that in my life. I have listened to my kids. I have listened to them say things that I thought, dear God, I can't believe that's coming out of their mouth. I didn't raise them. They were raised by monkeys somewhere else. I didn't teach them that. I didn't teach them to say those things. God, somebody, these, are, these kids are adopted. We never got, we didn't do all of that. And to hear them say those words and grieve as a parent in my heart, grieve in my spirit saying, God, there's no way they can be saying that. And then to hear them come back and the phone call come through and say daddy I know it's been a long time but I want to tell you something I'm in a place right now that I know the only thing that's going to work is prayer would you step away and pray for me right now I'm going to tell you something that's God's promises that the seed you put in their heart is not going empty and it's not going unheard but they will get it but they can't get it if they're not here put the word in them You keep standing on the promises of God. They may be doing everything in life about as backwards as you think they can do it, but you keep putting the word in it. I'll say it, I'll shout it to the rooftops. We said it last week. God never called you to make bad people good. He called you to love them. And when your kids are doing bad and they're doing the wrong things and they're messing up and screwing up and all the things you think are wrong, listen to me, they don't need a BFF. They need a mama and a daddy that know how to pray in the Holy Ghost, that know how to pray and get a hold of God because there's coming a day when they're going to need a word to stand on. And they'll come back and say I need you to I need somebody to pray over me. I'm just thinking about you guys sitting here and I'm trying to be careful because I know we're live but just thinking about what God's doing in your family and things we've prayed about and believing for. Listen to me. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't quit. I thank God that there was a grandmother who kept praying over my daddy and kept saying he will preach the gospel. He will preach the gospel. He will preach the gospel. He was 35 before he ever preached the gospel but he preached the gospel until the day he died hear me listen to me don't stop praying don't stop prophesying over them dispel the the tricks of the enemy with the truth of God's word stand over them amen and believe it oh my goodness man Mm. you know it's the thing that we have to decide God's given me jurisdiction now listen to this 
in that verse, we're not going to go back to Jeremiah, but he said this. He said, if you're not going to serve God, and you're going to go to the God of the Egyptians and of the Amorites, he said, then you've got to choose this day who you're going to serve. Look at this. But I want to ask you the question, because I've had to do this. If you choose not to serve God, how is the God you're serving treating you? I've heard it said only a couple of times, but, you know, I think I was better off before I got in church. Y'all going to make me giggle because I've heard people that have said that. And Pastor Ted agreeing with me. I, I think I was better off before I got in church. You know what they're saying? I think I was better off before I got saved. And I want to say to them, and I have said to them, do what? It took six of you and your buddies to pool enough money together to get a little bit of weed to get high. And you think you were better off before you got in church? It took a half a dozen of you to get together to buy a case of bud to go try to get lit somewhere and you think you were better off before you got saved? My heavens, I'm thankful that He found me. And I may not have everything I want, but He knows I got everything I need. And what I really deserved was hell, but I'm not there either. What I really deserved was death, and I'm not there either. I'm going to tell you something. I'm thankful that Jesus has come into my heart and bettered my life and bettered my family. And I would not go back, turn around, look around, go the other direction, because there's nothing to go back to. Amen. And I hope somebody's getting something out of this. Listen, when the enemy has bound you in your house, if he's bound you... Uh, then what you're saying is you basically you let me, let me just put it plain to you if you've allowed it into your house or if you're if you don't like what's going on really the enemy's binding you and has bound you and whatever is going on in your house is because you've allowed it does that make sense whatever you whatever's going on you've allowed it Jesus taught that when the strong man is in charge of the house remember I said the strong man can be you. Or it can be the enemy that's come against you. When the strong man has come, in, uh, come when, you're, when he has come into the house, the strong man takes charge. And when he takes charge, he brings peace and peace in his, in his life. The body of Christ needs to understand that the power of God is stronger than any darkness. Anything the enemy brings. We've got to learn to live in obedience in order to be the stronger man fighting for us and with us. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 said, Don't be unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Light and darkness have absolutely no agreement. So why would the church teeter on the opinions of the truth of God's gospel? The bottom line of all of this. You know what God's looking for out of us parents? For our kids? Loyalty. Loyalty from your life. Loyalty does not mean perfection. Loyalty means that you are loyal to God. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes, that you won't do things that you regret later. Loyalty says, God, I know that I've messed up in my past, but I'm still going to serve you. I know that I didn't always do things right, but I'm still going to love you and care about you. I had someone tell me recently, I'm going to share this, I'm being very open. I know we're again online here. I, I was speaking to a young person, and that young person gives every week their tithe. And they haven't been in this church in a long time, but they do it via our online giving. 
They don't miss. They give weekly. We get, a, we get a notification. I don't know how much it is. I'm not asking, Brother Jerry. I just know that it, it comes in every week. I see the notification. Such and such gave in the campaign of tithe. And recently, I'd said something to Bethany. I said, I want to speak to them and just tell them how much I appreciate them doing that. And so I had the opportunity and I, I shared with that person and I said, I just want you to know, I know you haven't been in, in church and I know you work a lot and I know that you're just maybe 19, maybe 20 years old and you're trying your best and, and there's a lot you've had against you but I just want to say thank you for caring enough to give your tithe into the church that somebody your age could be changed, that somebody younger than you could be changed, that somebody older than you can be changed. Thank you. And that person looked back at me and said, Pastor, I haven't always done everything just right in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes, but the one thing I've committed to God, that if He would give me this job so I could try to do my best to live the path that I need to live, I would give my tithe faithfully to the Lord. And that's I'm going to keep that commitment. Can I tell you something? That's not failure. That's saying, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I haven't always done everything right. But this one thing I'm going to do, I believe you bless those who are a blessing and I'm going to give I'm going to give I'm going to do what I'm called to do and that's give it's just something I want to share with you real quick God's looking for loyalty John, 1 John 4 and 4 said God said this you are you are God little children and you have overcome them because of who you are greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world we're not careful we get on this thing called easy grace and easy grace basically says you know what we're, uh, uh, it doesn't really speak about spiritual warfare. In other words, we don't want to admit that there's a hell and that the lost will go there, that it's an eternal place. We, nobody wants to talk about that anymore. We don't want to offend anybody. You know what? The greatest offense that could ever be made would be for me to preach to you messages time after time after time and never tell you, hey, there is a place called hell. It's literal. There are, it's hot. But you know what? Greater than it's hot, it's eternal. It never ends. And let me just share one more thing, and we're going to close here in just a moment. Hear me. That isn't a scare tactic. That isn't trying to scare you young people. That isn't trying to scare you as an adult. That's telling you that there was a God that loved you so much that He gave His Son... Amen. So that you could, that He would die in your place for your sins so you wouldn't have to go to that place called hell. He loved you that much. So much that Michael, he would turn his back on his own son and give him as a sacrifice for me and you. That's the truth that the enemy doesn't want you to know. See, the enemy will tell you and tell your children the only thing that God wants to do is put a damper on your fun. He just don't want you to have a good time. He just doesn't want you to live it up. I'm going to tell you, God wants you to live your life. And the greatest freedom you can ever have is living it within the boundary of His Word. Because when you get in the boundary of His Word, there's nothing like being free. Yes, free indeed. Come on, somebody. You know who you are in Christ. I'm just glad that when I wake up in the morning, I remember who I am and who, what my name is. I'm glad that I know that He saved me and He found me and that I've got life eternal ahead of me. Amen. And that it's good because everything that He has for me is good. So what is the answer? I'll tell you what the answer is. We need parents, especially men, who are willing to draw a line in the sand and declare that for me and my home, we're going to serve God. We're not going to back down. Amen. We're not going to. Why? We're in a spiritual warfare. 
And there's some decisions that need to be made. There's an onslaught coming against the body of Christ. If you don't believe that, turn on the news. Go into your children's school systems and hear what they're teaching your kids and what they're telling them. I never thought in a million years that I'd ever have kids in my own home raised in a Pentecostal church world body that would believe and start to question whether God exists or not. But hear me. Hear what I'm telling you. I'm not against schools and the school system, but I am against when they get to college age and they go to universities and they start telling them, hey, all that jazz that your parents told you, you need to really look at science. You really need to explore other areas and you need to question whether or not the God that they serve is really the God you need to serve and they're doing it all the time, every day. I want to tell you what, you need to put enough of the Word of God and the truth of God's Word into them. They need to have enough and know what they believe that they can dispel the tricks and the darkness of the enemy and say I believe in the word of truth I know that my redeemer lives I know that my God lives I serve him today amen would you stand with me and we're going to close I got so much more that I could share with you thank you for being here this morning I know that you're having to listen to this old nasally sounding preacher this morning my my altar time is simple and I need somebody to do something for me this morning I know that Jeremy and Amber over in the children's ministries if you can radio them I'd love for them to bring the kids in the nursery I'd love for them to come on in here because we're going to have prayer if you don't know Jesus this morning like if y'all got the radios that you can tell them okay If you don't know Jesus today,